Hello and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. Hope all of you are doing well. One of the things is, is that we thought we'd have this podcast on today is love versus attachment. And, you know, with that, we're going to talk a little bit about ego, too, because I think ego is such a big thing in that. And everybody has an ego. I don't care who you are. We have ego for different reasons and multiple reasons. It's kind of born into our DNA, I think. But it's when ego gets in the way Mm -hmm. because ego is that thing of I have to be right or I have to fight about something or stubborn, whatever term you want to use for it. But that really comes into play when we're talking about love versus attachment. And you're currently, for Christmas, you got the book, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And if you haven't read it, we're really highly recommending this book. It's just really an amazing book. And it really talks about a lot of things, a lot of the stuff that we talk about even on our podcast. So it's just a great resource in that. But it's a fun read to me. It is. There's a lot of seriousness to it. And it does talk a lot extensively about the ego and how that plays out in our lives and how it does it even, you know, it does it on an unconscious level. Even people that, you know, you think it's not, you're not a jealous person or you're not that kind of person that has, that harbors those kind of feelings, but you find that the ego plays a bigger role in your life than you ever even realize it's, there's so much of it that's still even on an unconscious level. So I do think that anybody, especially, I feel like this book has such a a spiritual base to it. If you're like looking for something that, that resonates with you, you should really look into it because it's not about one specific religion or anything like that. It's just us as human beings and our connectedness and the different pathways to learning more about ourselves and, and having that understanding. So it's been a really great read for me so far. I'm about halfway through it and I've really enjoyed it. Well, and I think the other thing is, is, you know, it's, I always tell my clients, it's so weird because it'll be like this theme throughout my week and it, it's usually revolves around something we're going to talk about on our podcast, which is always really fascinating to me. But, you know, when we talk about that thing about love and attachment, sometimes we don't realize, and, and maybe it's not just love, but it's what we attach ourselves to sometimes and, and, and we will put it off as love. Mm-hmm. So, We'll be in bad relationships, or I shouldn't say bad, but unhealthy relationships. We'll have an attachment because we think, oh, I really love that person. But sometimes it's an attachment to all these other things, these behind the scenes things that are going on. You know, like, well, they give me that validation that I need, or but they also take it away. So it's it's kind of really one of those things. But it's that, once again, it comes into that ego piece of it as well, because something is feeding that ego. Or we go to love somebody because we think that somehow they're going to complete us. Yes, exactly. And he talks about that in the book, even that it's, you know, a lot of times we get attached to either it can be things or it can be a person. And it's somehow we feel like that that's that having that is adding to us in some way. It's like we're seeking fulfillment through those things or through that person. And, and it ends up being very unhealthy. Well, and I think it is an unhealthy relationship, but it's so hard to identify the unhealthy relationship. I think 
until you actually really just sit with it and it becomes a part of that awareness. And then once it's a part of the awareness, then you can kind of work to change it. But I think people just go through life muddling along thinking, oh my God, I'm so in love with this person and on and on. And he does this really great thing in the book where he talks about that, where that idea of we fall in love with somebody and then, you know, you start to be with them and then how many relationships don't work. And the reason why is because the facade to get the person to love you you want that so much. Yeah. And yeah, he talks about that, especially in when you first start a relationship and how we fulfill these roles that we feel like that we need to play in order to get that person in our lives or that, and they do the same thing. And then as the relationship goes on and those things wear away because they're not intrinsic to us, they're not Not our our, authentic self. They're not our authentic self. So once those things fall away, how people can cause so much suffering in their lives through that. And I think that's, you know, I think we we look at attachment, you know, we're looking at attachment as far as love and relationships. And I thought that was really interesting when he was saying about the Spanish language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said about how to say te quiero means I want you, also means I love you, but primarily is used like saying I love you, even though the true translation would be I want you mm-hmm. and which is um, a better depiction of what is going on sometimes yes exactly and then he said you know to say I love you is really te amo but it's rarely used and and he uses that example and says you know maybe it's because true relationships and that kind of love is so rare so maybe that's why it's used that way but I thought that that was interesting too And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is I think that sometimes you can have those relationships that are a very loving, nurturing relationship and is very short-lived, but that's the extent of it. That's all it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? But I think what happens is, and I see this, you know, when I work with young kids, that thing of wanting to have that acceptance of their peers and of their friends and, you know, I often talk with uh, them about, do we hold on to something that's not healthy just because it does make you feel validated or wanted or whatever that is, whatever you're looking for, Mm -hmm. you want that. And often it is that thing that we look for out externally to us. But I think the more healthy you are and go into a relationship or you build together, because that's another thing you can do is sometimes when you get in a relationship and you're really young, you're just like, I don't know, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting as I'm working with this young, uh, this young lady and and it's the first time she's had a relationship. And she's really curious about it because she's, well, I don't know, what is it supposed to feel like? And all of these kind of, she just has all these questions, which is really neat mm-hmm. because it is that thing. And even with her, well, I'm just enjoying it right now. It's the simplicity of, it's the simple things of the relationship that she's really enjoying. So she's being in the moment. Exactly. And I think that that's what it comes down to because sometimes we go into things with so many expectations And it kind of sets us up for failure. You know, if we can just be in the moment and just experience what's happening at that moment, you know, not trying to control what's going to happen in the future, what that relationship is going to look like or that. I mean, you, you want to seek out somebody that you are compatible with, but you want to be open. Well, I think the control piece comes in is that thing of wanting that, not understanding that that's more of an attachment than a love or a lot. It's not the true definition of the relationship itself. It's what you're trying to make it into 
And that's because we're seeking something. Well, and it's not even the true definition of love, but how is the picture painted for us in our society? I mean, think about, you know, you think about even from the time that you're a child and you're having Valentine's parties and everything is be mine. It's a possession. We we view people and things, possessions, and somehow that they add to us and who we are. And when it becomes that, it really can be unhealthy. And you know what I think is really interesting? That's a great point. And I think that we continuously perpetuate this through so many different things. We talk about the holidays too, gift giving. If you don't, then you're this or you're that. So people get under pressure. Valentine's Day. Oh my God. You know, do I have, oh, I'm telling you as a therapist, Valentine's Day is not our day Mm -hmm. because no, I cannot tell you how many times people come into our office or we're on telehealth, whatever it is, and they are all but hurt because I didn't get a Valentine or my spouse didn't remember me today. Your spouse better be remembering you every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we put this in and then if it doesn't happen, somehow we're less than. Exactly. They don't love us as much. I'm not as important. And that's an attachment thing because our value should not be based on how somebody else is seeing us. We should have that value so of ourselves. So then it radiates out of us. So the person who we're engaging with truly feels that and feels our value and it becomes valuable to them. But oftentimes that's not what happens, especially you had to go remind me about Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) You should be reminded the store is full of everything Valentine's already. (laughs) I tried to put it out of my head because like I said, it's not a fun time. I, as a therapist, it's not been a fun time for me once again, because of whether it's the kids I'm working with and all of that. I'll tell you the other people that are not happy on Valentine's day. And that's everybody that works in a flower shop because I have been there, done that poor people. Those poor people will work their butts off that day. (laughs) I'm going to tell you how much, how much it is, is I went in to visit her at the flower shop one day. And before you know it, I'm wiring roses and I'm there like wait a minute how did this happen oh yeah and there are freaking hundreds upon hundreds of and I'm just there like oh my goodness probably thousands and that was a a small flower shop but you have to recruit volunteers when it comes to that because there's just so much so people don't go visit anybody at a flower shop on valentine's around valentine's because they'll put you to work yeah (laughs) But it was fascinating for me to even watch that piece of it and just the amount of money. And that's the other thing. We want to have that validation or we want to have that special feeling so bad that the amount of people will put themselves out to go and buy a dozen roses, which the price doubles for that day. You could be buying your loved one flowers every day, you know, or twice, two times a month and not pay the amount you're going to pay on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. And we, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. We're not big Valentine's Day people because one of the things is, is we really do work on engaging and doing those things on a daily. And you, you talked about that even about Christmas. That Yeah, because to me, I would so much rather, if I want to give a gift or those kinds of things, I think that that should be something that happens throughout the year. There should not be all this pressure completely put yourself in debt to get everything that everybody wants in that time because it's about that day. And it really is about marketing and all of those kinds of things in our society, I feel like. And 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with gift giving and there's one, you know, it, it's a blessing to be able to do that. But I just feel like that it's something that we should be practicing all year long. Well, and I think that's, what's interesting because, you know, you, there are these people and I, you know, I could not do it, but they'll be there and they'll buy a gift in June for Christmas. The reason that would not work for me, I would put it away and I promise you, she would not get it for Christmas. Three years later, we may find it and I'll say, oh yeah, I got that for Christmas for you. But the thing is... <laughs> that would definitely be me. I would totally do that. I would too. I'm, I am not even kidding. So that's what I'm saying. And the reason it doesn't work for other people is because there are some people that are so excited to tell you what you got. They're constantly there at once they've got the gift. They're like, do you want to know what you got? You know what you got? <laughs> You know, it's funny because my dad was a Christmas person. He freaking loved gifts. He'd remind us when his birthday was. He just liked presents. And he didn't care big, small, whatever. If it had wrapping paper on it, he was good. Mm-hmm. But he was one who would go and sneak and look at his Christmas. He'd, unlo- he'd go and literally untape them, look at his gift, and tape it back up. Well, I caught him. So after that, we couldn't store gifts there before Christmas. So he's one who wanted to look at his gift beforehand. Mm-hmm. Now, my other sister... She can't buy you a gift because don't even bother wrapping it because she's going to tell you what it is or she's going to go crazy trying to tell you what it is before it's the time. Yes. And it's funny because one of my clients, it's Christmas and like we're, I don't know, say four weeks out from Christmas and she's talking to me about the gift she got her husband and she goes, I don't think I'm going to make it. And I says, what do you mean? She goes, I can't make it. I want him to open them now. And then pretty soon the next week, Well, I convinced him just to open his one gift because he needed it. But she did make it to like three days before Christmas. Mm -hmm. She can't do it. But hers is the joy of giving the gift. And you can tell with her and she wants. But part of that still comes back almost to that validation of, oh, my God, they got to like it. And how many of you feel that too? Mm -hmm. What if I get the wrong gift? And it shouldn't be that way. Gift giving should really be about getting what we want. And you got to love my sister, Sarah. She is totally not a Dodgers fan, but she knows we are totally Dodgers fans. So when she was out in California, she's out with friends and they go in and they're looking at her because she's getting these and she goes, it's not for me. And uh, so she got us some really cool Dodger shirts for Christmas. We absolutely loved it. And she did get her Marine Corps veteran t-shirt from us. So I think we did hella good (laughs) this year, but they're little things, but if, And once again, it's the value of something to somebody else. And even when we're gift giving, a lot of times I think people give those gifts that are really outrageously expensive or something like that. Once again, because they want validation of, oh, I gave the best gift. That's becomes, that's how much I love you. You know, it's not the size of a gift that really matters. It really is that thought process because even for her to buy that, because she knows it's what we like, we know. and, And you get those things that really have value to somebody else. But oftentimes people are, you know, it's like, oh, my kid has to have 27 gifts Mm -hmm. or, you know, all those kind of things. And I had a family I worked with, and this was really interesting because it was around Christmas and the son says something to the effect of, I always like Santa's gifts better. Santa does much better than mom and dad do. (laughs) And the dad and I, we had had this conversation prior. I said, y'all understand you're all those gifts that you're giving from Santa. Santa's getting all the credit. (laughs) Here you are working your ass off to make it happen. And then, but it's Santa that's getting all the credit. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so, and you know, it kind of hurt. It kind of hurt the parents. Like, dang, you know, we were, I'm there like, but they don't know that. Right. (laughs) 
You know, so I think it's all of those things. And when we talk about that, you know, we talk about that wanting that validation because we have that attachment to it's that attachment we're having to external things. Exactly. And that comes through ego for sure. I had this conversation yesterday with my client and, and about past and past traumas and stuff. We actually, and I was explaining to him that when something's in our life for a very long time, you know, if it's six months, it's it's very different than if it's six years or if it's 10 years or 15 moving up. We actually grow an attachment to those things, to those things that are going on with us. We will identify as them. And you've worked really good with me on that because I'll say, oh, my God, my allergies are bothering me. Today. And you'll tell me they're not yours. Don't take ownership. <laughs> exactly. But we do. We start to identify with them as though these things are a part of us. Yeah. And that's the attachment. That's not a healthy attachment. Mm-hmm. It's not a healthy attachment to be attached to your trauma. And that's not a negative. So people do not take that as a negative. I am coming from a therapeutic point of view here. I'm not saying that people consciously sit there and say, I want to be a victim. Okay. What I am saying is that a lot of this is a creation of even societal norms or whatever that is. And when it's been with us for a long time, it's kind of like the person who smokes or drinks or has too much sugar. It doesn't matter what it is. We grow attached to it. It's like, I need that. Well, it's not even on a conscious level sometimes, but it becomes a comfort because of how you're dealing with something because you don't know how to deal with it any other way. And if you did, it would probably scare you because there's a comfort zone in how you've been handling something. Absolutely. And that's what I was trying to explain to him is that even when we get rid of those attachments we have, there's almost a sense of grief and loss Mm -hmm. because we've incorporated it into our identity, but it's not our identity. And it's when we're free from that and we get to embrace who we truly are, then we recreate that new image of ourselves that we are more attached to, but in a healthier way, because it is more who we are. There's nothing negative about what I'm saying in that aspect. It's not that people want to be a victim or they want this, that, or the other. What I'm saying is we're conditioned in some ways for that to be relevant and to be happening. And You know, once again, when people come into therapy, my job is undoing and starting to help people see things differently. But a lot of it is that attachment, whether we realize or not. I'll have people come in and they're in crappy relationships. I mean, I'm just there like, why are y'all married? (laughs) Well, nobody in my family's ever got a divorce. We just don't do that. I get all sorts of things. Well, and sometimes, well, what if I can't find anything? Or, you know, oftentimes or somebody saying to you, well, you're never going to find anybody. Nobody's going to want you or anything. That becomes that thing. So now that person attaches even stronger. And it's almost that thing of, well, this person really loves me. That's not necessarily love. Right. And I think so when we're looking at that thing of love and attachment, that's a huge one. That's why people stay in really bad relationships. That's why. and, And I'm not talking about just marriages. You can have that in family systems and in friendships. People will say, I've seen it with families, that that I'm there like, this person does not treat you well, but they love me because they're my sister. Uh, No. (laughs) If that's the way they love you, that's kind of brutal. And then we look at that again and we say, well, wait a minute, how do we change that? How do we see ourselves? Because the more healthy I am, the less I'm going to allow those things and the less I feel that I have to hold on to those unhealthy relationships. 
Right. Because we get so caught up in the role of that I am your sibling or whatever, then then we allow certain things that maybe we shouldn't allow. Well, there's a desperation in it, whether we realize it or not. Mm -hmm. There's a desperation to hold on to that. And if you have that thing of a desperation, that's sometimes you have to sit back and say, why is that? If we truly love somebody, we want them to be happy. And if it's not with you, it may hurt to say, I truly love you. But if this is going to make you happy, then because I love you, I want your happiness. And that is really more a reflection of love versus that attachment. Because attachment comes from a place of of fear of fear and what you feel like you need for you because it's not about being able to let that person go if that's what they need to do or whatever it is that whatever choice they need to make and i think the thing is is understand whether it's letting go of a relationship because of attachment or letting go of a relationship because the person doesn't love you in the same way but you love them or whatever it's either way it's going to hurt just so you know That part, there's going to be that lost process to that whole entire thing. But it's really looking at the thing of, and when we truly love somebody and we we truly love ourselves, we realize that in our motivation and our reasoning for the relationship changes. I don't want you to leave because I love you and I love our relationship is very different than I don't want you to leave because, well, what about me? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this to me? On and on and on. You know, I, I mean, you, it runs the whole gamut of things that I hear. And I think that's where we have to look at once again. You know, we're always talking on this podcast about being your healthiest version of you. Because when you're the healthiest version of you, you will have healthier relationships. You will have that relationship that is truly based on a love. And we even talked about this the other day when we look at how we love people. There are so many ways to love somebody. We love people as human beings. You just start out like we love people as human beings. And then, you know, that's like this outer end of the circle. And then as you move in with the relationship, it changes. You know, our acquaintances, we love different than we love humans, all humanity. Then, you know, you love, you know, and it just kind of keeps coming in until you get to your inner circle. And in that inner circle are those people that you love and hopefully in a very healthy way that they are people that are encouraging you to be the best version of you. And sometimes understanding that in order to be the best version of you, they may have to take a step away or you may have to take a step away from them. But that's what we're talking about, a love that is not an attachment because there's a true understanding of that other person in the relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's putting it on the level of relationships and other people, but it can be with things as well because people oh. identify a lot of times and find some sense of self through Objects. items sometimes. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, one of the stories and examples in the book is this woman who lost a ring and here she was, she was not well. She was in fact dying And she had thought somebody that came in to take care of her had possibly stolen the ring. And she was all upset. And he sat down and talked with her and explained, you know, what does this mean for you? If you can't find this ring or whatever, what difference does it make? And at first she was very, you know, well, this is my wedding ring. It means so much. It's all about, you know, but she realized in the end that 
whether that item was there or it wasn't, she did not change her situation and where she was at in her life and what she was facing and all of those things. And it really did not take away from her in the way that she thought that it did. But she had to give that some time and space to be able to comprehend that because she identified with that so much. Exactly. And I think that's really the thing that we do is we will attach to things because we perceive an emotional attachment to an object. Mm -hmm. Another thing where a client and I were talking and his dad passed away, but they used to have a car. It was this car that the dad had. He comes in and he tells me, he goes, oh my goodness, he goes, I got, they they found this car. It's like my dad and he's talking to me about it. And he's talking to me about the memory and everything that it brought up with him. And so he goes, I think I'm going to buy this car. And I'm kind of looking at him because I also know his financial stuff. So I'm kind of just looking at him. And I told him, I says, well, I'm I'm curious. I said, how is a car going to enhance what you just did right now? He goes, what do you mean? I said, when you talked, you had the feeling, the animation, and there was no car. You were not sitting in a car. You were not doing any of those things. I said, so how is putting yourself in financial trouble or financial, more of a financial challenge going to really enhance the memory you had right at this moment? And he sat there with that. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you're right. He goes, the memory's in me. He goes, but I somehow put it into the car. And that's what we're talking about. He thought the car was the attachment. The car had nothing to do with it because what he really wanted to attach to was the memory. Mm-hmm. That feeling around the car, but it had nothing to do with this particular car because it wasn't the same car. Mm-hmm. You know, but we will find people who hold on to those things or, you know, they'll, for whatever reason, they will, here's this heirloom, you know, this big thing and they don't ever ask the kid do you want this or the great grandkids or whatever it's like I don't know what I'm gonna do with that I live in a one-bedroom apartment or studio exactly and people (laughs) do that all the time and it's something we all struggle with I mean we've even done that we've gone through things in our garage multiple times we still know that there's things that we need to get rid of and even though we've looked through those things at that time there was some amount emotional attachment to it that kept it in our garage and you could see it all over our town the amount of storage units in this town it just boggles my mind but people have so much stuff and yes there's the necessity of that sometimes but A lot of times people have just a ton of stuff that they feel like they can't part with because they have that attachment. It somehow adds to their identity. And so they feel like they can't get rid of it. But here they are paying for a storage unit for something they never see. And, you know, so a little bit personal here, you know, even like with your mom, her attachment to things. And even when we were having to downsize some of her stuff, her thing was, you're trying to get rid of my whole life. Yeah, my mom really struggles with that. And she, you know... And I understand it to a degree, but I've told her, your life is not these things. And when you focus more on your life and less on things, you tend to have more things that are of value and not abundance. Mm -hmm. So there's a big difference in that. But working with her understanding, this when was the last time you looked at that? If you have stuff in your house, I mean, I get some of the stuff, but if you have stuff in your garage or your storage or your closet that you don't even know what's in there and you go look in there and you realize it was from 1978 Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know a piece of paper and you're there like oh why do I have this 
Because sometimes we have it and at the moment it's valuable, but then we go back and we look at they're like, I don't know, but how many times you'll sit there and, and we're guilty of it. And, but we're working on it because that's our thing for another goal we have is to go and even downsize more because we have bin upon bin upon bin. And you're right. We go out there and they're like, oh, well, we can't get rid of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember that one time, you know, in 2012, we did, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I remember it. And you're right. It's, I have the memory. Nobody can take that. Once again, meningitis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dang there it. are things that can take memories. But but then you have somebody like Christy who just reminds you and paints a picture and then it's there again. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's what I mean. It's, it's not to say that one has to get rid of everything because that's not it. I have stuff of my parents and I have it because it does have an emotional it does help with that connectedness to the people that we've lost. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about getting rid of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about when you have five replicas of stuff because you forget you have it. So you go buy another one and then you, they're like, oh, I don't know where that is. And then you buy a replica. We're guilty of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I did that the other day. I said I needed some stuff, storage things. Christy gave me the look. <laughs> what are you talking about? We have that in the garage. I says, but if it's out of sight, it's out of, it doesn't exist for me. <laughs> well, and my mom would do that over and over again too. My, you know, for years, my mom had two storage units and there were things in there that, and she would tell me, there's things in my storage unit I could use, but because she couldn't get to it and, and go find that stuff in there, she would just go buy more. And I think a lot of times that is what people do. I mean, you know, it's just more convenient to go to the store and get another one. I mean, granted, there are things that you do, like you have attachments to. I have some things in my dad's. But it's, I think so much of the, the time we hang on to things because of attachment, because we have some idea that it somehow adds to the person that we are. Or the person that we lost. Yes. Or the relationships we've lost. And sometimes it's really not that. But it's a head game that we play and we're all guilty of it. And once again, it's not going out and getting rid of every attachment. That's not this at all. It's really looking at those healthy versus unhealthy attachments. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because even like for, like I said, with my mom, I feel like that, you know, that was a financial burden on her that she had those two units. There was so much stuff in there that just needed to be gone through and dealt with. And that's when I feel like it becomes unhealthy, when it's such an overwhelming task and you're just, you're feeling stuck from it. It's not adding to you as a person, you know, it's, it's becomes It takes beyond. up space. Yeah. And, you know, we don't realize when we take up so much space, it takes up space in us too. And it starts to feel like clutter, those kinds of yes, things. Yes, every you- time I go in the garage and I look to that one side, I just get like all, <laughs> yeah, and I want it done. becomes overwhelming. And like I said, that that's what makes it unhealthy. So when it's to that degree, that's when you have to start looking at it differently, I think. Well, and exactly. And, you know, when we talk about that, and, you know, and I think I'm really notorious for that, because I will tell her, if I don't see it, it's like, it doesn't exist for me, seriously. And so if I, I'll tell her something, and then she'll say, oh, well, yeah, go on. we do that all the time. And they're like, we have to remember to do this. And then it's like, where they're like, well, don't tell me when it's 10 o'clock at night. Tell me when, because we forget things, you know, and that's part of that attachment thing is sometimes we even forget the thing that we're attached to until we see it. They're like, oh, I remember this. I forgot <laughs> I even had that, but it was so important. I had to keep it. 
you know, stored, you know, 20 years of keeping it and we don't even remember. But that's what I mean. You know, you start to look at those things and those are just, those are attachments to things, but we have attachments to people. We have attachments to our past. We have attachments to situations in our past and all of these kind of things. And people, there are healthy attachments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there really are. We can have those healthy attachments, but it's if the attachment is removed, if it makes me go into panic and it makes me feel less than, or it starts messing me with me internally like that, like I'm not a good enough person or any of that negative talk, then that's when it's not healthy for us. Mm-hmm. But when, if, if it's a healthy relationship that say, says ends and morphs into something else, then the thing becomes that wasn't what it needed to be at that moment. I will miss it, but I'm still okay. You know, and there's so many of those different things. And there are lots of people who have divorced and remained friends and co-parented and done a lot of those kind of things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's possible to have those really healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. It really is. It is. It's possible. But I think in order to do that, though, we have to do that self-work. We have to do that work of being truly worthy for ourselves to truly love and accept ourselves for who we are, to value growth. Mm -hmm. And even though sometimes growth can hurt. (laughs) Yeah, and it can be something that you don't want to deal with when you have to take on accountability and things like that. You have to realize your your accountability in, in those relationships like that. I mean, sometimes because we're so attached or whatever to an idea of what a relationship is supposed to look like, you know, sometimes that's, it can be smothering to the other person or those kinds of things. So that's, it leads to that unhealthy piece. It's really funny because then I work with families and things like that. And sometimes they'll tell me about these arguments and, and, you know, they'll dig their heels in and I'll always tell them, what is the prize? What? What's the prize? I get a what's the prize, man? <laughs> this has been such a argument for so long. What's the grand prize? And they're both looking at me like, what do you mean? Well, as much time as you've invested in it, and as much as both of you want to be right, and I guess being right is the winner, what do you win? They're like, well, nothing. Oh, really? I said, you've invested a lot of time in nothing, but it's that attachment to being right. Yeah. It's that attachment to being smarter, faster, whatever it is. It's that attachment. The bigger breadwinner, whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. It is that attachment that will keep that fight going. Yeah. And then when you realize, though, that you don't really win anything. And I tell people when you're arguing, ask yourself, what's the grand prize? What do I win? Oftentimes through attachment, what we get is more hurt. When we attach to the ego in that fashion, it leads to hurt because people will not stop. Mm-hmm. Well, and because of that egoic piece that people revel in that that it's like it's satiating in some ways. It's like the thrill of victory. Yes, because <laughs> if you're the smarter one or you're the you you view yourself as the smarter one or the the one more right in the situation, whatever it is. Well I guess the thing is is you know when I say that you know the same was the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Yeah. And that's what it is. When you're fighting so hard to be right, remember that the person you're fighting against sometimes is the person you're professing to love. If you get to have the thrill of victory, they get the agony of defeat. That doesn't feel good. There's nothing good and positive about that. 
So sometimes it's a matter of agreeing to disagree. And that's where the work comes in, really, because you do, you you have to take accountability of that to sit there and say that it's about a victory or that kind of thing, that it's really about being right or that. A lot of people don't want to admit that. That's something that you want to keep on an unconscious thing. I just want to be right, but you don't, you're not going to verbalize that. Even in your head, you don't consciously think that, but that's really what it becomes. And sometimes you have to sit with that and, and think that over and realize that that is what it is. It is that egoic piece. It, you know, and, we talk, and you know, when we talk about that, you know, it's kind of that interesting thing when you talk about accountability, because, you know, oftentimes when I work uh, with people who have been um, hurt by others in the past, my one, well, I just need him to apologize. And then once he apologizes, well, well then he apologizes and it's going to be good and that's fine. Well, fast forward, apologizes. I said, so now you're fine. He goes, well, no. I said, see, that's what it is. We want accountability, but then once I get accountability, then I have to let go of my piece of my, I, that attachment I have to being the victim of something. And we've talked about that. I said, you have to be okay with that this person made mistakes in their past. Often I'll be able to say, well, they have to understand that I'm changed. I'm not the same person. Well, then you have to offer that grace to other people to not hold on to those things because that is such an, a, a strong attachment to a past situation that we continuously bring forward and put it in the present. And the thing is, is oftentimes it's not just the accountability they want from They think that if I do the accountability, it's going to change them. It really doesn't because we can't change the past. But our perception becomes because we've held on to it for so long Mm-hmm. And it's so much a part of who we are. Once again, once that's done, I don't even know how that's going to feel if it's not with me anymore. Exactly. How do you let it go truly? And I mean, those are hard things. I mean, and I, I think that people struggle with that on a daily. And sometimes it can be something simple from how many times people are attached to a job because of a title or because of who they think they are within a company. And all that stuff comes into play, too. And it's like, well, if I don't have my job, I don't have my identity. If I'm not this or if I don't have this, I'm not that. No, who we are is who we are. Mm -hmm. All of these other things are just layers upon, you know, it's kind of adding to. But if you get rid of it, it should not take away the true identity of who you are. If I retire tomorrow, which I won't. (laughs) But, you know, next week, (laughs) you know. You win that big old jackpot, then maybe. <laughs> but even with that, I'm there like, you know, if we had win the jackpot, would I retire? And I'm there like, yeah, I think I would. And then I'm there like, no, I don't think so. Because there's certain ones I, I'm sure I'd have to keep for a bit. And <laughs> you've always making a, an excuse or a reason to, to continue on the way you are anyway. Because <laughs> you're identified with that role. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been a therapist too long. <laughs> but it is. And even like with that, people start to identify with titles. Call me doctor. Call me this. I get it. You earned it. You deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when when you're not in your practice, you know, when I'm not in my practice, I'm not a therapist. Uh You know what I mean? But there are certain qualities I'm going to have whether I'm in my therapist mode or not. But it does become an identity. And, you know, oftentimes, even when I meet people, like I said, they will come in and they will tell me, well, I'm bipolar or I have severe depression. I've had three hospitalizations and all that. And I'm there like, can we just start with your name? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Seriously. 
I need to know who you are. But people, and I talk with my clients about that, do not let your, have such an attachment to your diagnosis that you become the diagnosis. It is just a small piece of who we are. Exactly. We're made up of a lot of things. There's so many. We're like an onion. Remember? (laughs) Layers, yeah. (laughs) We have so many layers. There's so many dimensions to who we are, but there's, but I think people do, they do that and they get so identified with something and try to fulfill that role so much that it becomes an attachment. I think the title makes somebody feel important. Mm -hmm. So if it's somebody who's not, who has that insecurity and, and once again, this is neither positive or negative. It's not a criticism. There's a lot of stuff that goes into making up who we are, you know, a lot of stuff. And sometimes if somebody feels like they've never been validated or if they've tried really hard, but nobody's ever acknowledged them, you know, when they do get that letters behind their name or whatever it is, they're really proud of it. And then that attachment becomes, that's my identity. Mm -hmm. So there's things that make people the way they are. It's neither right nor wrong, or it's not a value judgment in any way, shape or form. There's always got to be balance in things. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, those things are important, but we also can't let it become an unhealthy state of mind. So you know, especially when, you know, we have attachments to grades and to all of those kind of things. You know, I have college students and a couple of high school students I work with. And, you know, we talk about that. Oh, my God. But if I don't get this, if I don't get an A, well, what happens? And they're looking at me like, what do you mean? What happens? Uh-huh. What happens? But they're so <laughs> do identified. You, I say, do you, yeah. do you disappear? Do you, what happens? Literally but it's work, their, them, I, work yes. themselves up and to being ill sometimes to get to that. They will. They will burn the candle at both ends. They'll do stuff. And I told one of my clients, I said, you know, the thing is, is that I have never, I'll say this and now it'll happen, (laughs) but I've never had somebody come into my office and say, because, you know, oftentimes clients are interviewing us too. Um, By the way, what was your GPA in grad school and undergrad school and blah, 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 blah. Nope. They don't ask me that because at the end of the day, they're more concerned with the relationship than the attachment to what got me there or whatever. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think those are things that are really important for us to understand is that everybody has attachments. I don't care who you are. We have attachments. Everybody has attachments, but it's trying to not let the attachment become part of who we are in identifying, oh yeah, I have an attachment to that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because, you know, it makes me feel this way and that's okay. But once again, if we're going to go into our garage and we're going to go look at stuff that has been there for 20 years that we've had in storage and we do absolutely nothing with it, then I don't really have that strong of an attachment to it. (laughs) It's all in the mind. It's also that thing of getting rid of something, but it's mine, that ownership. Yes. Even when we don't realize that we do this societally, you know, be like, oh, this is my wife, Christy, Mm -hmm. my wife. She doesn't let me say that, but no. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say this is Christy a lot of time. We don't, a lot of times we will say stuff like that, but most of the time we don't. No. Well, I think I use the term spouse quite often. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, I mean, in some of those things we have to identify as that. But once again, we do that. These are my children. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, as opposed to who else's. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I am the mother or your children already know that. Yeah. <laughs> or I am the father. They already know that. <laughs> but it's that. 
Once again, it's that ownership in there, some ways. And it's an attachment to that role as well, because you're, you kind of take ownership in that way. And that's, you're identified with that. So. Even when we talked about real quickly about living vicariously through children. Exactly. It's because my identity is now tied into how my kids do and, and I didn't get to do it. So you're going to do it for me and all of these attachments and all this emotional stuff and and we think we're doing it from a place of love. It, it is, I really want you to be Have all that you can be, all that you can be. Yeah. But in some ways, it is still us trying to live out it. what we could accomplish or what we, you know, whatever through our children. I do think that that happens. Exactly. Because we have an attachment to our past. Yeah. Well, I didn't get to do that. And I will have that sometimes. Parents, well, I grew up poor. I don't want my children to do that. So it's like, find a balance. Stop having an attachment to your being poor. Move on from that. Live in this moment. You are no longer poor. Mm-hmm. You are in this moment. Live as this moment. But don't teach your children to be afraid of poverty. Yes, because you create a whole yes. other. So that's that problem. attachment to the past and to poverty. Mm-hmm. Whether we realize it or not, they're not healthy attachments. So I guess for us today, it's a thing of love yourself first. Love people that enrich and enhance your life. But understand that the people that we love will come and go from our life for several, for lots and lots of different reasons. Maybe it's because their journey is taking them somewhere else, all of those things. But I think the thing that's most relevant and important is to know that we do have attachments to have an awareness. And once we have the awareness to that attachment, we can say, why am I attached to it? Is this a healthy or an unhealthy thing? What does it bring to me? Am I so afraid? Does it throw me into fear? And if I get rid of attachment, does it make me less than? If it's going to make you less than, then you know that's a true attachment. And if that's the place you're working from, you know, fear of losing something, you're not reacting the best that you can, you know, the best reaction that you can have to situations and that because you're coming from that place of fear. Absolutely. So it starts by once again, and remembering there's all different kinds of ways to love And I think that's the greatest gift we give to anybody when we love them on any of those levels. And particularly when it starts with the individual. And then once again, that radiates out to everybody else. And when we come from that place of of love, regardless of which, what area or what layer of love that is, that we tend to not have as much of the attachment, but we still get to have the great feel of it. It becomes a, uh, comes from a place of, of selflessness. It's not about us and what that person even brings to us or that. It's the person that they are. And so real quickly, once again, a really great read, if you have not read it, is A New Earth, Create a Better Life by Eckhart Tolle. We'll put that on our website and our Facebook so people can also have that as a thing. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you guys all have a wonderful, wonderful week. And we will be back next week. Bye. Bye.